Testing, testing. It's on. One, two, one, two. Microphone checker. Microphone wrecker. Microphone blicker, blicker. <laughs> Alright, let's give this a shot. What is life? What does it mean to heal? I'm a human. Hello, hello? Anybody there? Why are we here? Let's figure it out together. That's fun. Just to come play. Play in the podverse. What are we doing? This is the Turning of the Bones podcast. Hello. Welcome to another, the 30th, Turning of the Bones podcast. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so happy to be here. I am ecstatic that I am on the other side of halfway to a year straight of getting a podcast out every week. How y'all doing today? I am really just, I'm excited today. I'm in a good mood. This is, the sun is shining. The fall weather has fully come. I was, uh, it has arrived. I was out on a walk the other night and it started sleeting, hailed a little bit. Then it was like a nice, cool, spooky rain. And yeah, it's it's really great. The sunshine during the day, getting to wear beanies and hoodies again, getting cozy in the evenings with a book and a cup of tea. So welcome to another episode of Turning the Bones podcast. I'm I'm thrilled. I have a an exciting podcast planned for you today about the history of Halloween. And I did a bunch of research. I learned so many cool things. Isn't learning cool? Uh, just the way it lights your brain up. It's energizing. Keeps that neuroplasticity working. Um, and learning to, like expand and get outside of of your bias you know like learning other people's perspectives learning other people's history making connections to to deepen and enrich this this human experience where we get to connect with each other so i'm i'm ready let's connect today how are y'all doing what is going on in your worlds you wisping willow williams you Screaming Sarahs, you lurking Larrys. That's a little bit creepy, but it's uh, it's it's Halloween season. It's fall. It's it's the season. It's the end of the end of the summer, and we're transitioning into darker days. We're almost halfway between uh, the equinoxes, I think. And yeah, I went for a walk this morning, and it was brisk. And it was just a, a glorious morning. And I'm always, I'm always humbled by the fact that, that beauty and despair, uh, that joy and suffering kind of simultaneously live side by side. When I was <clears throat> making my way back from the park, I, this, might, this might turn into a bit of a rant. We'll see. Um, 
I promise I'll get into Halloween, but there's there's an issue we're facing here in Denver, and I think it's happened to any city that has experienced an influence of uh, an influx of people moving there, gentrification, uh, outside investors, and what's happening is our population of people who are experiencing homelessness has expanded quite a bit and all over the city there are encampments popping up and people who are trying to find semi-stable places to set up their tents to put their things and this morning I walked by and they were doing what is called in Denver which is a sweep and what basically happens is a bunch of cops roll up some dump trucks some people who are kind Samaritans offering food and warm beverages to the people experiencing homelessness. And basically, it's, it's really kind of, it, it's heartbreaking um, for lots of reasons. You know, you, you see these people's things being thrown into, into trash trucks. Um, you see some people being arrested. You know, I drove past uh, a woman sitting about a block away with her things and she just had her head in her lap and it was the image of utter despair. And I can't even imagine what it would be like to feel that, um, that dread about living and having your things taken and needing to once again find another place to live and it's really an issue you know it's you know on on one side this place is quite close to where um someone I know it's where near where someone I know lives and you know the drug use and the mental health and the the domestic violence that exists in some of these encampments can be really extreme and the there's, you know, no toilet services, the sanitation is an issue. Um, and so I really understand the challenge for residents nearby, you know, who are getting woken up in the middle of the night to a domestic dispute or somebody experiencing a mental health crisis or, you know, somebody who's on drugs, which is just usually a symptom of trauma or a mental health issue and I really I understand that that's challenging and that the the health and safety concerns are real it's I think what's really tragic is that this is a result of gentrification and it's an example of one of the ills of capitalism which is when a city or a neighborhood becomes popular, a bunch of white people move in, rent goes up, it displaces people who've been living there for years, people of all ethnicities and genders and social locations. Um, you know, I have another friend who's being displaced um, by gentrification. You know, the, her building sold, her rent will go up two to four hundred dollars which she can't afford and she'll need to move. And I experienced that when the place I was living on Federal sold. And luckily I have a support system, but not everybody does. And 
some people wind up experiencing homelessness after that and their limited social resources um, they're hard to access for some people some people don't have the mental capacity you know I think sometimes when we're thinking about homeless people experiencing homelessness it's like why don't they just access the resources it's like well they don't have a computer they don't have phones a lot of them you know I think that presupposes that those people have access to resources that you and I do and it's not true and also those people um, may not you know know how to or have had the support systems that let them access that and so it was it was pretty sad this morning to watch um, but I felt like it was important, you know, I think it's easy to ignore these things and that's why I want to talk about it here because I'm, I'm pretty passionate about needing to find resources to help people get on their feet and provide them with the mental health resources. You know, can you imagine trying to find a job without a house or a phone or living in a tent or not being able to shower? Um, and so this common myth of like, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and this capitalistic um, mentality of like oh well that's on you it's just it's not true you know it doesn't take into account the entire equation and yeah so I just I think all this to say you know like people experiencing homelessness are people too you know I, I've worked with children with mental health schizophrenia and I knew when I was working with them that there was a good chance that I might see them on the street when they were in their 20s or 30s and it's heartbreaking um, because I'm not better than anybody else and nobody else is better than me and I, I wound up really blessed and um, if you can you know try to support in whatever way look into resources, look how you can support people who are experiencing homelessness and, you know, we can do better in this country. Um, and it's a huge problem, you know, these, these, a lot of people who are buying up the, the apartments and the land here in Colorado aren't even from Colorado, so they have zero vested interest in the community. And it's really disruptive to um, the city and it's it's horrific for the families that, that keep getting pushed out and all too often they're BIPOC individuals um, or people who are elderly or who have experienced mental health issues or who are on disability and have a fixed income and so yeah just just make sure you're thinking about the whole person when you think about people experiencing homelessness because they're people and what I saw this morning was absolutely heartbreaking. Um, people want to do well. People want to. People want to do good. I, I truly believe that, um, except for a very small part of the population who has mental health issues, like you know, be a sociopath or an extreme raging narcissist and not be able to but uh I think for the most part everyone's trying to do the best do their best um 
And so, sorry for yeah, <laughs> a little, I was just on my heart and I needed to get it out and I wanted to share it with you guys, my audience, because I think you'll, you'll understand and, you know, having conversations with our families about this, that, you know, people experiencing homelessness, it's not because of a character flaw. It's not because of, uh, you know, I think a lot of times it's easy to attack the character instead of looking at the actual problem and letting the sadness touch you. Um, because it's horrific. So, uh, yeah, maybe do something nice for someone today. I'm, I know I'm gonna try to do something to, uh, some, some selfless service to, to keep trying to help, uh, help us all out. So, uh, I'm gonna move on to, 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 uh, transition here to, uh, the Halloween episode, which I'm extraordinarily excited about. This is, been so fun to prepare and so fun to dig through the history of how Halloween has changed. Um, I know for me, when I think of Halloween in America, I think of children trick-or-treating. I think of jack-o'-lanterns carving pumpkins. Um, it's kind of hard not to think of the huge Home Depot ridiculous yard art that is so amazing and so prevalent now. Um, I remember last year during the pandemic, it was really neat to watch everybody kind of come together as a community, even though we couldn't be together to decorate our yards and to do do some, some rituals that we've shared for a long time. Um, yeah, what else do I think of when I think of Halloween? I think of... Uh, Horror movies, scary movies. Um, I know in my 20s I used to sit around and think, oh, this is just an excuse for everybody to go batshit crazy. To uh, get drunk, let their alter egos out. Um, kind of uh, <clears throat> one last hurrah before the winter came. Um, and I think now I think about like, you know, I think about, about part of what I think about honestly because this this is just kind of where we're at in late stage capitalism I think about how much money gets made off of Halloween it's really insane um, I was looking online Halloween brings in nine billion dollars a year in revenue um, it's the second most profitable holiday next to Christmas which just blew my mind I I mean, it makes sense now that I think about it. The costumes I feel like every, you know, there's art. People buy gourds and, you know, disposable pictures of witches and cats made, you know, in other countries. Um, yeah, it's pretty amazing. Um, people dress their animals up. 20% of millennials uh, bought costumes for their pets last year which I thought was hilarious. Um, it's pretty cool, though. I, I, you know, I'm not going to complain. The, the pets and costumes on Instagram really keeps me smiling this time of year. Um, but thinking about all that, I was like, you know, I, I was like, I don't know much about how Halloween in America came to be what we know now. Um, you know, I think of, like, being a teenager and 
people toilet papering other people's houses and you know all the Halloween episodes on every TV show and so I started doing a little digging to uh, to come up with this episode because I was so this all started I was carving pumpkins the other night at some friends house and we were having like a really really good time um, we someone said hey you know put on some scary music and then all of a sudden from the the bluetooth speaker I start hearing Limp Biscuit, and it just it made me about pee my pants laughing <laughs> that, that 90s met pop metal was the scariest music and it's kind of true that music's it's pretty pretty rough um and <laughs> so yeah we had just a really great time and at some point uh someone told me about the history of carving pumpkins which I'll share with you uh, at the end of the podcast um, there's a really wonderful Irish myth about a, uh, a character named Stingy Jack and uh, it really got me thinking like oh I don't I don't know much about the history of Halloween you know which I should as a good capitalist you know it's the second most profitable uh holiday in this country and you know for better or worse I'm a capitalist I live in a capitalist society until we figure something else out and uh you know so to do my due diligence and also you know I wanted to make sure that I understood where these things come from to pay respect to the cultures that, that these things came from I think that's incredibly important um you know the disconnection I think all of us feel a bit um because of how capitalism kind of just hijacks the deeper meanings of things for us, you know, there's always a Halloween or a Christmas episode that's like the true meaning of, you know, the true meaning of Christmas, the true meaning of Halloween. And so I went digging and Halloween um, is pretty old. Some people say 2000, some people say, you know, even older than that. Um, but Halloween um, kind of started with this this end of summer festival called Samhain or Samhain, and it's a uh, it was Celtic and Gaelic, and we don't know a ton about these things because the Romans and the Christians did such a great job uh, just stomping out a lot of those old traditions. Um, But it originated in uh, Ireland, Scotland, so Samhain or Samhain, and uh, for those of you who don't know, it's kind of like the northern part of France, England, Ireland, Scotland, um, and it, it, it was a festival marking uh, kind of the end of the harvest, and so Samhain, Samhain means the end of, end of summer, and it would be celebrated in lots of different ways. It's about halfway between the longest and the shortest day of the year, uh, the autumn equinox and the winter solstice. And it was kind of believed that during this time, the thresholds between worlds were a little bit thinner and um, ancestors, uh, the deceased could come visit, spirits, the fairies, the fae, um, we're just kind of uh, more present this time of year, which I think is really, I don't know, it's really fun to me. I, I play Dungeons and Dragons and I've got a pretty 
pretty fun imagination and so I enjoy this this history of this I think it's you know the idea of spirits coming to walk the earth earth and visitations from guests some welcome some unwelcome um, and so during the it's the end of the harvest, you know, there'd be offerings, there'd be offerings of food, there would be the slaughter of uh, livestock, um, you know, offering up for like a, a successful winter, you know. Winters are, are long and, and scary times, you know. We've been able to diagnose and come up with a psychological and modern framework for this with seasonal affective disorder. Um, and it's fascinating to me, you know, that like we used to have magic and ritual, you know, to help. It's kind of like an old medicine, you know, an old, an old remedy for the stuff that still continues to kind of ail us psychologically and spiritually around this time of year. Um, so you would set you know, a, a place at the table for your ancestor. Um, you, you know, wear masks to scare away unwanted demons. Or I also read that uh, so demons wouldn't be able to recognize you. So you're out there just kind of like blending in with the demons, which I, I think is great. It kind of gives me the image of like the, the zombie movies, like Shaun of the Dead when they dress up or kind of put on zombie makeup and go out and try to blend in with the zombies. Um, and I love the image of just a bunch of spirits and humans all kind of bumbling around in masks. And uh, there would be huge fires. Uh, the bonfire was a huge part of this ritual. And people would uh, extinguish their hearth fire. And after the rituals, they would take they would light their hearth fire from the, the light of the bonfire in hopes of ensuring like a blessing for for the winter to come. And I don't know, I just, you know, being I have I've Scottish ancestry and so like reading about this I got really jazzed. I was like, oh this this these are these are my people. This is what we used to do. Um you know, because I think for me in America, and maybe y'all can relate to this, you know, there was this kind of like, I used to think Halloween was like really scary, right? Like scary movies and like, you know, I, I thought it was like a, a dark demonic holiday. And I think that's really the, the influence of a couple of things. You know, I think it's a puritanical overlay, you know, years and years later, when uh, the Puritans and colonizers and settlers came to America, um, you know, they brought with them kind of this this deep fear of darkness, and you know, they responded to that by doubling down on Jesus and purity, and you know, kind of demonized, ironically, these festivals that were that were meant to kind of celebrate the harvest uh, look at what is you know let go of what's past and look 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 into the future you know I think I mentioned this in my episode about liminal spaces you know this was considered a liminal space you know where the veils between worlds are, th are thinner 
and we would mark those with ritual and coming together as community and so this this kind of you know I'd really say it's like a puritanical hangover this idea and it was like you know made prevalent by movies you know I remember in Halloween 2 the one with uh, Michael Myers you know Sam Hain was written on a chalkboard in blood and uh, if you look these up on the internet it's like it's all clickbait. It's like the dark history of Halloween. And it's like, okay, you know, it really appeals to our psychology to kind of focus on those fears. And I think it makes sense, you know. This this ritual was, I think, in part recognizing the fear of the dark days to come and the psychological strain of winter on, on people thousands and thousands of years ago. And also, this was really fascinating. There was some asshole archaeologist or linguist I can't, I'm not even going to remember his name because it's not worthwhile just some white dude uh, who was studying Irish Celtic Gaelic history um, went to was translating um, what was his name Charles Valancey a British military surveyor and amateur amateur historian he visited Ireland on a surveying mission, and he was fascinated and wrote a ton of things about it. But he became obsessed with what he thought was a, a misinterpretation of Salwen or Sam Hain being actually meaning the summer's end. He argued that it actually referred to uh, Balsab, which is you know was the Celtic Lord of Death, and so he he just like he perpetuated this it got, it got a little traction you know because of colonization and you know of course these people were you know it's really easy to colonize someone and subjugate especially you know the irish has happened in the americas it's easy to subjugate them if you think they're lesser than you or like oh these ignorant savages who are worshiping the god of death you know which is just it's mind-blowing to me that this guy and a couple misinterpretations and some puritans have have laid this this darkness on this holiday which i think to me everything i read it sounds like a awesome celebration <laughs> you know we just harvested a bunch of food our ancestors are showing up yeah some other spirits might come through but whatever we'll wear masks and we'll uh we'll protect ourselves you know we'll take we know how to do this we've been knocking around these fields and these hills hunting and gathering and farming for thousands of years let's just, we we got this you know no worries um <laughs> it's not a problem um and so on and on it went you know this uh there's not a ton of information about this like i said um and so it goes on, and that's kind of a rough sketch of the origins. Um, you know, druids and, you know, people would do divination with bones. It was like a good time because during those liminal spaces, it's believed that, like, you can get clearer insights about things. Um, and I, I think that's that, that makes a ton of sense to me for meditating getting into some liminal places in my brain and I kind of feel like all of a sudden you start having insights about your behavior about the world about life and so it, it adds up to me that they would have been doing these things and it sounds like a magical festival 
of uh, druids and witches and farmers and everyone coming together to kind of like throw one last hurrah before the long winter came and to call on their gods, you know, their support system. Uh, and so along come the Romans marching in and the Romans conquered uh, almost everything at one point and stomped out so many traditions um but when they did you know they they kind of recognized that you know oh the celtics and the gaelics they have these these rituals honoring the dead and so do we so they you know did what all good colonizers do is they overlaid their rituals on top of the existing ones and they merged it with Ferelia, which was their ritual their uh, ritual commemorating the passing of the dead, and they kept it around the same time of year. And the goddess, the Roman goddess Pomona, whose symbol was the apple, uh, came together. And they didn't rename it. I think it probably was some kind of hybrid there for a while. But there, there's some speculation that that's where bobbing for apples came from that you would put apples into a bucket of water and you know tie your hands behind your back and try to catch an apple with your mouth and if you caught the apple with your mouth you were it was uh, a sign that you were going to have a successful winter to come that Pomona had blessed your winter and I think that's pretty fun you know I loved bobbing for apples as a kid. It was one of, I just remember getting my face soaked and just like really getting into it. It was like so absurd and like kind of joyfully frustrating, you know, for a child with a small mouth to try to grab an apple. You know, I'd probably have no problem now because I can eat like half an apple in a bite, but <laughs> it was, I don't know, I thought that was pretty fascinating. And so the Romans do their things for a while there's not a ton of history about how those two things came together but then along come you know with christianity here comes the church you know probably around you know a thousand a.d you know another a thousand years later and uh pope gregory the second moved it uh merged it with all saints day you know this is pretty classic colonizer tactic you know you take the indigenous people's religions you don't respect them you squash them down you make them look like you know you demonize them or uh, make them seem less than and then you put you overlay your your rituals <clears throat> excuse me on top of it and so Pope Gregory III uh, was experiencing a huge problem because a lot of the, the leaders of countries and the monarchs were iconoclast and starting to take down his images and so or the images of the gods. So Pope Gregory III like doubled down. He built tons of churches, tons of statues, and merged uh, Samhain and whatever it was kind of in that interim Roman period with All Saints Day. Um, and they would celebrate the saints um, and then at some point it became All Souls Day to honor the dead um, 
And this is interesting. It's where this is where we get Halloween. All Saints Day was also called All Hallows or Hallow Moss, um, Middle English, All Hallow Messe, um, meaning All Saints Day. And so that's where we get Halloween from. That's where the word Halloween. I don't know when it switched. I don't know when we picked up the ween part of it. I don't know. I th that would be interesting to find out. But uh, <laughs> um, on All Souls Days, people would go a souling, where people went door to door asking for soul cakes. And this was usually people in poverty, and they would get food or soul cakes in exchange for praying for the deceased, the homeowner's deceased. So whoever gave the soul cake would receive extra prayers. People in poverty would get some food. Um, yeah, and at some point, you know, maybe for autonomy, people would dress up. It was known as guising in Scotland and Ireland. And then you would ask for food or money. You know, if you were poor, you'd just go out and ask. And because it was, you know, tied to the church, some incentive to give a little charity there. hit my vape I'm still off the cigarettes still on this little mint vape which is it's nice it's uh it's helping helping me get over my oral fixation uh so that's kind of where the church ran into Halloween and then it became All Souls Day uh got a little bit of a change um yeah, and I think it's it's really fascinating to me how these rituals kind of you know there is, there's the colonizer settler thing that removes power from indigenous people by you know replacing their gods, killing their statues, replacing them with the invading armies belief system. Uh, there's co-opting uh, images, you know, we see this. In America today, you know, all of the Native Americans and indigenous people to the Americas, right? Like they're like really powerful images are now used as the name of sports teams, you know, and some of them are changing. Uh, you know, there's the Chiefs, the Indians, uh, there were the Redskins, which is just horribly racist. And thank God they changed their name and hopefully we'll get rid of the rest of them because it's really harmful to people who are indigenous to America. And so that's like a pretty common thing. And then there's, you know, also the ways in which these things evolve because I don't think that any of these things can stay static, you know, especially as, you know, going back to when there were ships and now we have full on globalization. It's like, you know, rituals do change and evolve. Um, but kind of knowing the history helps you have some respect and honor the people and the places that these things came from. I think you do your ancestors justice, other people's ancestors justice, which I think is super appropriate for this topic and this, this podcast, because that's what this is all about is, you know, it started with an honoring of the ancestors and the spirits help us psychologically prepare for the darkness. Um, you know, Seasonal affective disorder is a, a real thing now. It's a DSMV. It's in the uh, psychological manual. And people who experience seasonal affective disorder, which I'm sure people did 2,000 years ago, 
maybe even worse. You know, you experience, you can be depressed. You can lose interest in doing things. Low energy, problems sleeping. You know, you have problems sleeping, you have problems regulating your emotions. Uh, you feel sludge, sluggish or agitated, difficulty concentrating, feeling hopeless or guilty or have frequent thoughts of death or suicide. So to me, you know, here's a, here's a big leap. But, you know, maybe these rituals, you know, they served a metaphorical function for our psychology that, you know, I know when I feel depressed or hopeless or guilty or have thoughts of death or suicide, or, you know, a little bit more paranoid, I know that I can be paranoid about almost anything. You know, paranoid about my relationships, paranoid about my financial stability, paranoid about the next time I'm going to get hugged. And... You know, maybe these rituals and engaging with them metaphorically or spiritually or through communal ritual that has lots of symbolism, you know, a bonfire. Seeing a bonfire kind of gives you hope. You know, things are going to be okay. Uh, coming together with community, things are going to be okay. And maybe these, these rituals were like, you know, old old medicine for for what ailed us. I heard I heard John Verbeke say that if you had a shaman in your village or your tribe, that was the best health care you could have for thousands of years because of the placebo effect. So I don't know what the percentage is, but it's, you know, the mind's ability to think something's working and then heal itself, heal the body, is huge. It's like it's over 50%. You know, people on placebos experience the benefits of drugs. And so coming together and believing these things can really help you psychologically. And I don't know, I thought that was like a really beautiful connection to make with kind of the timelessness of our human experience. And... I know for me, the more that I touch into those, those, any ritual or practice or communal gathering, you know, it helps, helps me psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, physically. You know, carving pumpkins the other night was grand. It was, it was beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, maybe, like we know now, like we have all the, all the entertainment at our fingertips. This wasn't because they were bored. You know, it's like, you know, people still experience seasonal affective disorder with computers to connect, with jobs. It's like a real thing that really messes with you psychologically. Um, and so maybe this was all just medicine, you know, and maybe that medicine actually works better than other medicine. Who knows? But uh, a little bit of a tangent there about I just, I just think there's something really deep there that this timeless human experience that we need these things and the fact that we've kept some of these rituals can't just be because they make money and because the capitalistic overlords are sitting there somewhere raking in millions of dollars from skittles skittles are the the top selling candy every year at halloween which blew my mind i thought it would have been reese's peanut butter cups just blew my mind another thing that blew my mind candy corn used to be called chicken feed because they were trying to market it to uh, agricultural uh, 
agricultural folks. <laughs> and used to be a chicken as their mascot. Like Foghorn Leghorn or something. Um, oh, also candy corn's ingredients haven't changed for about 200 years, which might make you think twice about ever eating it again if you need a reason to question eating candy corn. Um, but no, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum if you like candy corn. Keep on keeping on. Um, yeah, have fun this Halloween. I'm uh, this is this is a, a fun gig for me. This one, and so. Without further ado, the legend of the jack-o'-lantern. So we have jack-o'-lanterns, right? I carved pumpkins. It's incredibly fun. You can buy pumpkin carving kits at almost any store, grocery store now. There's this the time of year where it's just seemingly endless piles of pumpkins at grocery stores. And uh, I learned the history of this. And I will tell it to you in story. So in Ireland, there lived a man named Jack. Jack was a mean-spirited blacksmith. In business, Jack was hard to deal with. But Jack did his work, and every night he would go to the pub and drink. And this was Jack's life working with metal, being hard in business, and drinking his life. He drank every night, and he worked every day. A good portion of his money from working went to taking care of his parents. Jack's parents had long been, since been old, and he was getting tired of taking care of them, but he did it. Until one day, Jack's parents passed away. And Jack continued to drink. And on and on, Jack saved and saved, having extra money from not needing to take care of his parents. But Jack's work started to deteriorate. His emotional state started to, to weaken. He became even grumpier and bitter, more and more bitter. And he began to have less work. The wheels he would make would fall off carriages. His bolts would not hold in the rafters. And eventually Jack had drank away all the money that he had saved. Excuse me, there's a, a siren going on. Yep. Denver, Colorado. And so, Jack drank and drank. And one night at the pub pub in which no one would speak with Jack, in walked a stranger. The stranger was wearing all black, jet black hair slicked back, and dark, deep, piercing eyes. The stranger sat next to Jack at the bar and asked, Jack, how you doing? To which Jack responded, and had another sip of his beer. And the night went on like most nights do. No one speaking to Jack, and Jack drinking and drinking. Until it was time for last call. And Jack looked up and said, Don't think I don't know who you are. I know who you are. You're the devil. And I know why you've come. 
My time here is over, isn't it? To which the stranger replied, Yes, Jack, it is. Your time is up, and I have come for your soul. And Jack said, Well, do me one favor. I have no more money. I have drank it all away. My parents are dead, and I barely have work. Before you take me to hell, buy me one last pint, will you? To which the devil replied, Jack, I am the devil. I do not carry money. What would you have me pay with? Jack says, well, you're the devil. You can do whatever you'd like. You could turn yourself into a, a coin right now, a piece of gold, and I could I could pay for my tab. I could have one last drink before I'm, I'm doomed to eternal damnation. Jack looked away, finished the last bit of his beer, and when he looked where the stranger had been sitting, there was no one there. But on the bar lay a gold coin. Jack, being quite clever, reached into his pocket and pulled out a golden cross and laid it on top of the coin and whispered down to the devil, Oh, now I have you trapped, devil, and I will not let you up unless you make me this deal, unless you agree to not claim my soul tonight and not bother me for a year. I will keep you here trapped in this coin for eternity or until my body dies. The devil, being reasonable, agreed to Jack's terms. Jack, leaving the bar quickly, not ordering another drink, ran out into the, into the, into the street, and ran and ran and ran, and ran to a field and threw the coin into a field and ran the opposite direction, being afraid that the devil might follow him. Jack hopped a fence, stole a turnip from his neighbor's yard, and took it home to eat, as he did every night. As it went on, Jack was not bothered by the devil for another year. But Jack made no changes in his life or his behavior. Jack was a man set in his ways. In a year, just as he, he knew would come, Jack went to the bar again. Sipping his beer and not even turning around when the stranger walked in. Jack said, ah, you're here again. I knew you would come, and I'm ready for you this night. Not asking for a drink, Jack got up and walked outside with the devil, whose piercing black eyes and black hair merged with the night. And walking down the road, Jack said, You know, every night I hop this fence, and I steal a turnip from my neighbor's garden. And besides the beer, that's about as much as I eat every day. Devil, will you do me one last favor before I, I head to hell with you? The devil said, Jack, I've, I've been great to you. What I've given you a year, I, I allowed you. And he said, you wouldn't deny a man his final meal. Across the field here is an apple tree. And in that apple tree, the most delicious, gorgeous apples. But I'm, I'm old, devil. I, I cannot climb that tree. Would you climb that tree for me and grab me an apple? <laughs> the devil laughed and said, Yes, Jack, one apple, for you are truly a wretched man, and you have had few joys in your life. So one apple, I can do that for you. And they walked to the, the tree. The devil scurried up. Jack quickly pulled out his pocket knife and etched a cross in the tree, trapping the devil. The devil hissed, Jack! 
You fooled me again. Jack said, Devil, I was ready for you tonight. So, I will let you out of that tree if you promise not to come for me for another ten years, and you must guarantee to me that there is no place in hell for my soul. The devil, being extraordinarily frustrated, said, Yes, Jack, if you etch out that, that, that cross, I will, not, I will not save a spot for you in hell. Jack says, And be a good lad and throw me down an apple. The devil, furious, throws an apple at Jack. Jack picks it up and chuckles and says, So we have a deal, devil. And the devil says, Yes. Jack crosses out the, etches out the cross. The devil climbs down the tree and Jack walks away, never looking over his shoulder, knowing that he has twice now bested the devil. So many years later, Jack, sitting in his chair, drunk from too many beers at the pub, with his half-eaten turnip in hand, stolen from his neighbor's garden once again, sits in his chair and dies. Jack, on his way to the pearly gates of heaven, thinks, there must be, must be worse people than me. Maybe there's a spot for me in heaven. And meeting St. Peter at the gate says, Peter, Peter, let me in. St. Peter says, Jack, you've, you've truly been a wretched man and there is no place for you in, in heaven. You will not, you will not make it through the pearly gate. And Jack says, of course, they've got to be murderers and, you know, horrible, violent men that are worse than me. And yes, Jack, and there is a place for them as there is a place for you. And all of a sudden, Jack feels himself falling, falling through the darkness and the cold until thump, he lands in what he can only believe to be hell, red embers surround him, demons, and he stands up and brushes himself off and expecting to see his friend once again looks up to see the devil in his piercing black eyes. Jack says, all right, devil, I guess it is my time. It's my time to join you here in hell. The devil says, oh, Jack, no, no, no. You have bested me twice and I have made you a promise and given you my word. And though I may be the devil, I do keep my deals. And there is no place for you in hell. And Jack says, what am I to do, devil? What am I to do? You will wander the night. You will wander the earth, the cold, dark earth for eternity. And Jack says, but, but how will I see? And reaching down, the devil plucks up an ember from the ground of, of hell, the floor of the burning realm, and hands it to Jack. And says, this will light your way, Jack. And Jack looks into his other hand and still holding the turnip that he grasped when he died, shoves the coal into the turnip and heads out to wander the dark hills for eternity. The end. That's the story of Stingy Jack, a mean-spirited blacksmith doomed to wander the hills. And that's where... That's, that's the origin story of carving jack-o'-lanterns. Jack-o'-lantern. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's <laughs> so, so if you have time, Google turnips, like uh, carving turnips, because they are super cool looking. And so people would carve turnips to keep Stingy Jack and other spirits away from their houses during uh, this time of year, during Samhain or All Hallows Day. All Saints Day. 
they would carve turnips because in Ireland they didn't have pumpkins. And it wasn't until Irish, the Irish immigrated to America that pumpkin carving began uh, because here we have pumpkins. And in Ireland, they have turnips. And they are so cool looking. They are amazingly cool. Um, you know, now it's kind of like an Instagram contest who carved the coolest pumpkin. But like, you know, they were really meant to ward off spirits. An old, old stingy Jack. That's uh, where that came from. I don't know. <laughs> I love that story. Um, Irish storytelling is some of my favorite. Almost all of my favorite authors are from Ireland. Um, love Blind Boy. Love Joyce. Um, others, but I'm spacing their names. Uh, yeah. So happy Halloween. There's a little bit of history for you, a little bit of backstory around how we got here. I uh, hope you, you're able to do something. I hope you have something to do to uh, set you up for success this winter, whatever it is. Um, this is a, uh, a listener-supported podcast, so you guys help me. I'm going to keep doing this work. I love doing this job. I put a lot of time into it. I'm really excited to be in this new apartment and be able to give it a little bit more time. And uh, maybe you can tell. So if uh, you got something from this, you had a good time, got a little break, please support me on Patreon, www.patreon slash turning of the bone. Wait, www.patreon.com forward slash turning of the bones. You can go over to my website www.turningofthebones.com and click on the Patreon link. You can uh, send me a, a direct message. I can uh, give you my Venmo or PayPal. And yeah, if you don't have any money to support, don't worry about it. Other people are helping out. And please, the, the way that you could help the most is sharing this with a friend, sharing it on social media, leaving a review on iTunes, uh, sharing it on your Instagram, your Facebook story putting a link in there it's on spotify and itunes and i can keep making these episodes because this is this is really fun for me i hope you had a good time uh, i hope that uh didn't lose you there at the beginning with my my rant about people experiencing homelessness but if i did then so be it and if i did you're probably not listening right now so i hope you're having a, a good time figuring out your complex feelings about people experiencing homelessness with your therapist or somebody. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, important to see the humanity in everybody to uh, understand where our rituals and holidays come from, understand how they were changed by colonizers and settlers and try to make peace with our ancestors. So I definitely I, uh, little side note, I, I got a bunch of pictures of my ancestors from my mom and my aunt, and I have created this hallway, and it's my ancestor hallway, and I love it. It's so cool to have their faces. I'm missing a couple of them, uh, but I'm going to try to fill in the blanks, but maybe do something for your ancestors this time of year, because uh, they lived whole lives so that we could live ours, and I think that's pretty neat, even if uh, they had their trauma, they had their issues, it's... Uh, they put a whole lot of effort into making sure I could be here to use this voice to talk to y'all. And so I'm grateful for the ones, all of them, you know. Doesn't mean I want all of them in my house. Just have the nice ones in. 
Happy Halloween. Be well. Bye now.